Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And before we read the Word of God together, I would like to make some introductory comments regarding the morning message. Every time I visit the Internet, I am faced with great promises regarding my hair loss, my muscle mass loss, and my memory loss. And all these wonder cures are guaranteed to fix me up in a way that nobody else can fix me up. It reminds me as a boy, I used to love to watch Wagon Train and such Western series. And from time to time, a medicine man would come into view. He was driving a wagon, horses leading the way, and he held in his hand a tonic an elixir which would cure anything anyone suffered from. Well, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who can bring healing into our lives. And He heals us in none of the areas which the Internet promises me to be healed in. He does some of that as well. But He also heals us in the area of trouble in our lives, problems that we are seeking to deal with. And this passage which we're about to read will teach us that there is something, more particularly someone, who is the cure to all that ails us and that sidelines us. So let's read there from Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, and we will read through verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, begins as follows. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So what is this cure that will cure anything which ails you and me? It's found in a simple sentence in this passage, which is largely overlooked when teachers of the Bible, preachers of the Bible, come to this passage of Scripture. It's the statement that the Lord is near. That actually is the pivot around which all these other commands revolve and which makes all these Commands doable 
for us if we know Jesus Christ. Think about this suggestion that the Lord is near. Think about some of the things which we know from Scripture. We could go to Psalm 139, where the Bible says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, behold, there your right hand will lay hold of me, and you will guide me. Imagine that. There's no place in the universe that you and I might visit that the Lord is absent. The Lord is near. The passage that we are trying to memorize at the moment, Acts 18, 9 and 10. Paul had been in Corinth for some time. He had met stiff opposition. This was not the first time that the Apostle Paul had come against opposition. Remember, earlier in the book of Acts, he was stoned, apparently to death, left as if he were dead, and the Lord raised him, I believe, from the dead. He was a person who was very familiar with physical danger and all sorts of rejection, And here he finds himself in Corinth. He suffers from a certain amount of dejection. Now let me pause here just a moment and say this. Life in Christ is not a life which is free of troubles. But life in Christ is a life that is full of the nearness of Jesus Christ. And we have troubles. Paul had them. Paul, arguably the greatest follower of Christ who's ever lived. He had problems galore. If you read in 2 Corinthians 11, you see that. And there's evidence in the book of Philippians. In fact, we know Paul is in prison. He is a prisoner in chains. He is dignified because the Lord was near to him. And he was an ambassador for Christ in chains. Earlier in this great epistle... Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result, everyone in the whole city of Rome has been touched. Even those who make up the palace of the Caesar, the royal palace, has been invaded with the presence of Christ because of my chains. Now, how did that happen? There were guards which pulled guard duty over Paul. And there was not one of them who came into his presence did not, that who had not, not at the same time came into the presence of Jesus because the Lord was in Paul. So life in Christ is not trouble-free, but life in Christ is full of the Prince of Peace. And he's the one who makes life doable, And bearable. The point of your trouble today, whatever it may be, if you're in the middle of some trouble, the point of it is, from God's vantage point, is to conform you more to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, who learned obedience through what He suffered. Perfect man, fully God, had to learn another level of obedience and bring glory to God the Father as a result. And here we see Paul. And Jesus comes to him in a vision in the night at Corinth.
Paul is discouraged undoubtedly. He's ready to fold up his tent and leave Corinth. And the Lord says to him in a vision, Stop being afraid. Speak out, for I am with you. That is to say, I am near you, Paul. That's the secret, my friends. That is the secret that will unlock the door to your ailments being cured by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's near to us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, God speaks, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. The Lord is near. His nearness cures us of our disappointments. Perhaps you came here this morning with a heart that's full of disappointment. May I tell you that the Lord can conquer your disappointment? And He's given us a recipe for that in this text of Scripture. What happens to us? We all suffer disappointment. What happens to us when we suffer disappointment and we do not appropriately approach it and deal with it in the way that the Lord would have us to deal with it is that we have misplaced expectations. Our expectations are not met and it brings great disappointment to us. And it's all the result of a misunderstanding of God. We really do not believe that God is a sovereign God. Our God is in the heavens, is what the Bible says in Psalm 115. He does whatever He pleases. God is not a deity who shares the universe with Satan in terms of rulership. Our God is in control of all events. And our God is the God who causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Remember this. Don't forget this. Disappointment is God's appointment. It's His appointment to recognize the nearness of the Lord. That He really is interested in you. He really does care for you. He really can take your disappointment and turn it into something beautiful and purposeful. In this passage, verse 4, the Scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, notice the usage of the word Lord twice. Twice in this short span of Scripture, the Lord's name comes up. You may wonder, what was, you, was I talking about when I talked about the sovereignty of God? Well, the simplest definition we can find anywhere for the sovereignty of God is in the word Lord. When we speak of Jesus as Lord, we are acknowledging His rulership over our lives for sure, but acknowledging His sovereignty over the whole realm of creation. Not just in this world, but in the entire universe and in heaven. The Lord is near. What we need to understand is what the Scripture tells us about Jesus. In Jesus' time on the cross, in the book of Hebrews, it said that He endured the cross for the joy set before Him 
scorning its shame. Jesus knew what lay ahead. Do you know what kept Him on the cross? Is the joy that lay ahead. Do you know who made up that joy? You and I. We who have been redeemed by Christ. Jesus stayed on the cross and scorned the shame of it. And He endured the pain of it. The humiliation for you and me. And it kept Him on the cross. Jesus is near. He understands us. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted and tried in every way as we have, yet without shame. Jesus is there. He did not sin and give in to temptation. He's with us and He wants to teach us how to deal with the disappointment that we are faced with from time to time. In the book of Psalms, the 11th verse of the 16th chapter, the Bible says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. How can I rejoice when I've got disappointment? Why? The Lord is near, right? And when you start practicing what God says, it draws you to the place where you say, I'm hurting. We don't need to act like we never have any pain or trouble. I'm hurting. And then we choose by our will to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of the circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. I don't usually rejoice immediately when I'm disappointed. Do you know what I do? I whine about it. Do you ever do that? The Bible says earlier in the book of Philippians chapter 2, it says, do everything without complaining. That means whining. Do everything. That, again, is a hard thing to do. But it's not impossible. The Lord gives us the power. So I hurt, and then I rejoice, and then I confess, because what am I rejoicing in? I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through the Lord, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. Most of the translations translate it this way, who praise His name or thank His name. I don't know why they don't just translate it the way it is, because the word literally is confess. The fruit of lips which confess His name. And what is His name? Lord Jesus Christ. Sovereign Jesus Christ. It's the same word which is used by Paul in Romans chapter 10, 9, where he says, If we confess with our mouths Jesus as Lord, we will be saved. The same prayer that we prayed when we received Christ is to be the watchword of our lives throughout our lives, especially when we're facing difficulty, when we're disappointed. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. In the Psalms, the 84th chapter and the 10th verse, this is what the Bible says. Better is one day in your court, that means in your present, than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So there's joy. People go every place on the planet to try to find joy. And the last place people usually end up is in the presence of the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I'm not talking about just doing it in a place like this. We've had a great day worshiping the Lord so far. Awesome. It's been worth coming today and many times over because of the experience we've had worshiping the Lord. The Lord's here. But if you know Christ, He's wherever you go. He's with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So, the cure 
for my disappointment is the nearness of the Lord. The practice of the presence of God. The nearness of Jesus also cures us of our distractions. Look a little further in the text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, there's no way to explain it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's so true that if we recognize the nearness of the Lord, if we rejoice in the Lord, despite the circumstances which scream at us, you should curse God, you shouldn't rejoice in God, but we rejoice in the Lord, all of a sudden we are transformed. Our circumstances may not change. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in these verses that we just looked at, verses 6 and 7. There's no promise that the prayer will be answered. Have you noticed that? Many times, if not most times, such prayers are answered. But what happens is, when we rejoice in the Lord, we recognize His nearness, we can endure like Christ did on the cross, seeing our way through, and we can have joy in the midst of this great distraction that we find ourselves in. By the way, this word which is translated worry, don't be anxious, don't worry, is the word that is used by Luke in Luke 10, describing Martha, his dear friend, who was busying herself in the kitchen to whip up a meal for Jesus and his apostles. And she comes back in, she's irritated that her little sister, Mary, is not helping. In fact, she's seated at the feet of Jesus. And you know what she's doing? She's fixing her eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of her faith. She's listening intently to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to Martha when Martha is complaining about her little sister not helping her. This is what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, you are bothered by many things. Worried and bothered, some translations say. The NIV says you are distracted by your many trends by your many preparations. And it's really the word ministries, actually. You get this? We can be distracted by our ministry. I have been so many times in my lifetime, I've had more opportunity than most of you. But you can get so involved in your ministry that you forget the Lord because you've got important stuff to do. But here's the good news. The word distracted there is the same word that Paul uses when he says, do not be anxious. Do not be distracted. Our vision is taken away from the Lord and on to our circumstances. We look anxiously about us. It's like Peter walking on the Sea of Galilee. As long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, it was as if he were walking on concrete. The moment he took his eyes off the Lord, what happened? He began to sink like a rock. Have you ever thought how long it would take a 135 or 40 pound man to sink? It's like that, right? Boom, gone. But what we need to understand is that the nearness of the Lord makes it possible for us to be cured of those distractions. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19 to the end of the chapter, is the best teaching, I believe, on overcoming worry in the Bible. These are the words of Jesus. I'm paraphrasing a bit. He says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you drink, 
or what you wear or where you're going to spend the night tonight. Don't worry about those things. What I want you to do is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, focus on me. Focus on me. He goes on to say, do not be anxious about tomorrow, because tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you know what Jesus wants to teach us to do? He wants to teach us to live in His nearness, in His presence. But also He wants to teach us how to live in the moment and not be so far ahead of Him. And most of our worries never come to pass anyway, when you stop to think about it. And they're usually in the future. So we need to understand that the distractions of our lives are the result of our misplaced trust. Jesus is near and He is Lord. And so He cures our distractions so that He guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus I don't think I've said this in this service. I might have because I've preached this sermon once before today. But the word for worry or being anxious is a word which means to have a divided mind. That's what it means. That's what worry is. A distracted mind. I'm not thinking about Jesus. I can't keep my eyes on Jesus and my troubles at the same time. Can I? Some of you may be multitaskers to the degree you could do that. I can't do that. But if I get my eyes on Jesus, that's why the Bible says, let us keep on fixing our eyes upon Jesus. You say, come on, Mike. That's good for preachers, but I don't live in a monastery somewhere like you do. Look, we live in the real world. All of us. And we all have the devil aiming his big guns at us, trying to distract us away from the Lord. Jesus Christ. The Lord is near. And He is, in His nearness, the cure for our distractions. Well, let's look at the third thing. The nearness of Jesus not only cures our disappointments and our distractions, but also our difficulties. Paul had a bunch of difficulties, didn't he? Look at verse 10. Actually, verse 8. Let's start with Verse 8. He had difficulties with people. Lots of them. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Let's stop right there. I believe this is especially applicable to personal relationships. Because, not unlike you, I find myself in struggles with other people. Struggles with family members. Struggles with church members. Struggle with my employer, if I were employed. I've been employed for a long time. Struggle with all kinds of people. But I need to remember, and so do you, that the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our struggle is fundamentally not against other people. It's against those powers of 
darkness which are arrayed under the direction of the devil against us. And we need to recall what the Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. On our own, we're no match for Satan. But in Christ, we have the power to overcome. And this is what the Lord would have us to understand. Now, let's pause here just a moment and look at three of these adjectives. Beautiful, aren't they? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. But let's just look at three of them. Whatever is true. When I'm embroiled in a relationship that's troubling me, I need to go to the Word of God. Because what does the Bible say about itself? The Word of God is truth. That's what Jesus says about it in John 17, 17. And then if we were to go to Psalm 19, verse 8, this is what we hear from the Lord through David in Psalm 19, 8. He says, your precepts are right. There's that other word, right? True, right, are right. In rejoicing the soul. Praise the Lord. The truth sets us free. And also, it's right, the precepts, the truths of God's Word, sets us free in the way we look at each other. We begin to apply what we see in the Word of God to our relationships with people who are difficult for us. And we may be difficult for them too. We have to acknowledge that. But when we go to people in the way of Christ, in power of Christ, what happens? We do what He says, and it has a radically positive impact, maybe not instantly, but over time. And then the word pure, the latter part of Psalm 19, 18 says, Your commandment is pure, enlightening the eyes. So I get insight from the Word of God. We go to the Word of God for help in these times of stress in our personal relations. And then these difficulties which we have are not simply in relationship to other people, but also to certain situations. So let's look a little further, beginning with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Let me stop here just a moment. Of all the churches that Paul had gotten started with the help of the Holy Spirit, This was the only one which showed concern for him. Don't you know they had a special place in his heart? He was not bitter toward the others. He knew where his help came from. His help comes from the Lord, right? He knew that. But this poorest of churches, by the way, poor, the Scripture would indicate they were dirt poor. They had virtually nothing. But out of their poverty, they gave A lot. And they kept giving. And they begged for more opportunity. Amazing. The Lord was near to this church. And when Paul thought of them, this in itself cheered him up in difficult situations. Look at verse 11 again. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Why? The Lord was near, wasn't He? He was was near. And I'm certainly 
appreciative of these words from Paul. He's my teacher. He's your teacher. The Holy Spirit teaches us through Him just as surely as the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years has taught His church through Paul and the other apostles in their writings which form our New Testament. But what we find ourselves especially, I do at least, appreciative is His candor. He said, I have learned the secret. It was not like, boom, he comes to Christ and he's full grown. He was my age or a little younger when he wrote these words. And he said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Lord was near to him. We need to learn that secret. This is really the secret. The Lord is near. That's the secret which he's talking about. So the cure for my discouragement, disappointment, the cure for my distractions, the cure for the difficulties with people and situations, what is it? The Lord is near. It's really the Lord himself. We know that. Which leads to the last observation. Verse 13. Many of you could quote this. What does it say? I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. Do you ever feel inadequate for living the Christian life? Do you ever feel that you don't have what it takes? Do you ever feel inferior? Well, welcome to the club. Paul felt that way. He said in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, We don't have any adequacy in ourselves. If we have any, it's from the Lord. The Lord is near. That's the whole point of our coming to the understanding that if we try to live the Christian life on our own, we're going to fall flat on our faces every time. It's not about us. This great apostle, if you know his life, and he tells about it in chapter 3 of Philippians, if you know his life, he was riding the crest of a religious wave when he was intercepted and arrested, as it were, by Jesus Christ as he was going to Damascus to put a whole lot of followers of Jesus in jail who were descendants of Abraham. And so, in that moment, he was stripped of all that. He said, all of my accomplishments were like a pile of dung, is literally what he says. But here's what he said. When he asked Jesus three times to remove what he calls a thorn in his flesh. And the word thorn, it's not a good word to describe it. It's really a stake. It's like a big wooden stake is the word that the Greek word suggests. It was in him and it was painting him. We don't know if it was physical or psychological. It could have been a combination of both. We really don't know. I'm on the side of a physical defect in his eyesight. And finally, what does Jesus say? Enough, Paul. I don't want to hear another word about it. Don't ask me again. Am I enough, Paul? He says, My power is made perfect, Paul, in your weakness. Your strength in your natural person is the biggest deterrent to the nearness of God in your life. Because you can do it yourself. But once you understand... The Christian life is about Jesus in you and you're depending upon Him and you're not hiding behind your deficiencies 
We all have deficiencies. But you don't hide behind them anymore. In fact, you actually revel in them. That's what Paul writes about in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, if I must boast, I will boast in my weakness. He understood how important that was. The Lord was near to him. Do you know Jesus Christ? The Lord is near. You can do everything through Him who strengthens you. Everything He gives you to do. But you've got to recognize it's by way of trust in Him. Two last observations. The Bible says in this passage, and I skipped over it deliberately, after Paul has said, what is whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And then what will the outcome be? The God of peace will be with you. The Lord is near. The God of peace will be with you. The God who brings fulfillment, and the only one who can bring fulfillment into your life is with you. Remember what the Scripture says? We're to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Jesus says this. In the book of John, after teaching what I think is the most important passage in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, really, as to how to live the Christian life. He says, my father is the true vine. I mean, my father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine. He who abides in me and I in him as a branch abides in the vine. That's the person who really knows how to live this life. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Where does the fullness come from? It's from abiding in Jesus Christ. You can look for it everywhere you want to in the world, and you're not going to find it. It's in Jesus, abiding in Him, depending on Him, not looking for other remedies. Jesus is the cure. Lastly, in James chapter 4, this is what the Word of God says to us. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The Lord is near. Would you pray with me? Perhaps you're here this morning. And you are disappointed. You are distracted. You're disturbed. Your life's filled with difficulties. You don't feel like you've got what it takes. Well, the good news is the Lord is near. And if you will draw near to Him, if you will just, in your heart, make a step in His direction. He says, come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. In other words, burdened with disappointment. Burdened with distractions. Burdened with difficulties. Burdened with deficiencies. Just come to the Lord. Lay all that at His feet. Humble yourself before Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've tried to do this by myself. I'm sorry I've kept you out of parts of my life. And I'm asking you, Lord, now to forgive me. I want to recognize you as my Lord. Please fill me with your presence and empower me to honor you. Thank you. Amen.